Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. I want to welcome you to Worship Services of Homerville Church of Christ. This is the third night of our gospel meeting with Ryan Tootin. We're discussing the theme of renewing a passion. And we've had some great sermons this week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to them live, I'd encourage you to go back and, and look at the ones that are in the archives already. We'll be starting in about 13 minutes, and so if you're listening to this in the archives, you're going to want to fast forward just a little bit, but we'll be with you in just um, just uh, just a little bit. If you have any questions, feel free to post in the chat box or in the on our Facebook page and we'll be glad to do our best to get you a Bible answer for your Bible question.
we are podcasting this live, so if you aren't able to be with us at uh, regular times, you can log in to the TalkShoe account, and you can actually go to our Facebook page, click on that, and it'll take you there, and you can listen live, or you can go back and listen to the sermons if you weren't able to uh, listen to them before. 4A will be the first, first song this evening. 4A. Let us sing.
Number 728B.
number 696 will be the song of invitation. 696 will be the song of invitation. Then we have that number 658 will be the song for the Sunday. 696 will be the song of invitation and 658 will be the song for the Sunday. Let us sing. Jesus the Savior came down from above and to bring mercy and love.
renewing our passion in involvement, these plug me into a local congregation. Sunday night, we talk about renewing our passion as we think about heaven and the motivation that's behind that mentality of all that we will do to make sure that we can safely secure ourselves with God. Last night, we talked about our salvation, being that blessing that God has given unto us. And at many times, we, we may fail to, to remember that. And many times, we get complacent and, and we forget the joy of our salvation and try to renew that. Tonight, we're going to continue our thoughts. The power of our lessons renewing our passion for community. <clears throat> With that in mind, I wanted to think about real quickly, a picture in your mind, if you will, television cameras rolling and a brand-new car being propelled down a track. Maybe it's going to collide with another car or maybe with a cement wall and those crash test dummies being thrown, away, thrown around inside that car. Why would they waste brand-new automobiles? Of course, the information gathered for such a, from such a, a crash can be used to make cars safer. People are in real accidents. And they can help them to be able to go through this. A train speeds down a track. It collides with a car, and through that collision, uh, the car is compacted in nothing more than a, a small piece of metal. Well, the, 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 yet the, the, the carnage is caught on page, and what can they do with that? That collision can be studied, and it can be used in driver education and showing students that if they carefully try to outrun the train, what could happen? Most of the time when we talk about collisions, we realize there's a lot of lessons that we can learn. But also, when we're talking about collisions, most of the time, we're talking about something from a negative side. We think about two cars colliding at an intersection. We think about the lives that are lost within that collision or the property that has been destroyed. We also think about two planes that collide and all the lives that are lost or, or maybe even a ship that would collide with an iceberg. Many, many people's lives are lost. Most of the time when we're talking about a collision, it's negative. But tonight, I want us to spin our mind around and think about it from a positive standpoint. I want us to look to an account in the book of Luke. And it's a collision that takes place in the city of Nain. This collision is not going to be between cars or planes or trucks, but this collision is going to take place between Jesus and an individual who was broken and had a contract heart. Back to open your Bible to Luke chapter 7. As you open your Bible there, I want to just kind of get the background of this chapter. As we begin our study, verses 1 through 10, Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. And there while in that city during his ministry, he has an opportunity to heal the centurion servant. Verses 11 through 17, then leaves Capernaum and he travels about 20 miles. And there in the 20 miles, he enters into the city of Nain. And there in Nain, he raises the widow's son from the dead. John the Baptist then sends his disciples, and they begin to question Jesus. And Jesus gives his testimony to John the Baptist. And then he even goes from verse 30 to 35 and rebuking the individuals who would not take heed to the message that John was preaching. So we kind of have this background where Jesus is in Capernaum, and he's doing miraculous events, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and in about 20 miles he travels to the city of Nain, and there's a lot going on there. And no doubt there's, there's some teaching and miracles that are being done, the teachings of John, Jesus pronouncing that people should listen to what John has to say. 
And then we're introduced to our message that we're going to look at tonight. Jesus collides with the life of a sinner. What can we learn from that collision? What is it that we can draw from this lesson tonight and renew our passion about our community? I've subtitled this, What Happens When Someone's Life Collides with Jesus? What questions can we come up with from our text tonight? These are some things that I want us to consider. Number one, I want us to think about who this person was. Who is this woman that we're going to study about? Who is she? What is she? What does she do? I want to talk about some words that Jesus spoke that changed her life. I also want to say, as I read this account tonight, I hope that you'll do a self-examination. I hope that you'll read this text with me tonight, and you'll look at it, and you'll say, which one of these characters which one of these individuals in this story best represents who I am? And then we're going to ask the question, what if it had never taken place? What if this collision between Jesus and the sinful woman had never taken place? What difference would it have ever made? So let's open our Bibles together Luke chapter 7, and we're going to begin reading in verse 36 with that background. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down with me. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the meeting in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster box of ointment. She stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with her hair of her hand and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. He says, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one and five hundred pence, and the other fifty, and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both, telling him, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered the to whom forgave most. And he said to him, Thou hast rightly judged. He turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Fit thou this woman. I entered into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, and she has washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same love is little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. That meet with him began to say within himself, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee, go and do what an awesome story this is. What is it that we can learn? Number one, who was she? Who was this woman? Who was this woman and what did she do? You go back to the text that we just read, and you look at verse 37. The words that were used to describe this woman was simply sinner. It implies one who was openly immoral and unchecked. Most scholars would agree that this woman, by definition, was more than likely a prostitute. Because of the language used in this context, more than likely she was one who would sell herself for finances. The language used, however, though it would indicate that she was a prostitute, the language also used here shows that she probably did it 
not because she wanted to, but because she had to. It's not something that she enjoys with this position. And since there's no mention of her husband, there are many scholars that would even say that this woman was probably there. Had no financial means to be able to take care of herself, and so we assume that she was left to try to make the end meet the best that she could. Most likely, this kind of lifestyle was not what she really wanted for herself. But feeling like she had no other option, she did what came naturally. Picture that scene in your mind. Picture this woman just somewhere in your mind, somewhere in the shadows of the city. She begins to prepare for her nightly escapade. She was a sinner. She would go out night after night and break the heart of our night. The tools of her trade, her long hair flowing down her her hard and callous emotion, a simple alabaster box filled with perfume. She would step out into the street. She would sell herself to the highest bidder. This evening was different. Something changed in this event. Somewhere down the street, the, the crowds had gathered together, and, and maybe she had heard some things that were going on because of the context of what previously had happened about the miracles and the teaching. Maybe she had heard about this man named Jesus, and she could look down the street, since her hair was down, her alabaster box was full of perfume. Everything was ready. She stepped down into the street, but the night was different. She saw a crowd at the other end, and they were gathering, and maybe she could hear this one that so many people were coming to hear the teacher often wonder, as I read this text, what do you think Jesus was teaching? What was it that Jesus was saying in that moment that gathered her attention and drew her to him for further investigation? I'm going to tell you this is my opinion. I can't prove this, but if you'll open your Bible to Matthew chapter 11, because the corresponding passage is recorded by Matthew, but Luke does not record this part of what Jesus said. But what I also find interesting is Matthew does not talk about this woman. But yet in the context of the disciples of John coming to Jesus, and Jesus giving his dissertation on John, he speaks these words. And so it's the same context recorded by Matthew and Luke. Luke doesn't record what we're about to read, and Matthew doesn't record about this woman. But I believe it's the same as him. And if it is, how it fits so beautifully. Notice that these are the words that are in that context. Beginning at verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is large. Those words we repeat on so many occasions. But I find it interesting there in the original, the word labor literally means distress with the hardships of life, especially the hardships that are brought about by sin. What effect did those words have on her? Whatever it was that that woman heard Jesus say, she had met Jesus, and whatever it was, the word that he spoke would change her life forever. She, she is not going to think the way she always thought. She's not going to feel the way that she had always felt. She's never going to look at her life the way she was looking at it at that moment. Things were changing, whatever it was that he said. So what was it that he said? I do know that he said this. What are the four words that changed her life forever? 
You know, it'd be interesting that people say, four words, how do four words change your life? Well, what if those four words are, the baby needs changing? You are being sued. You are being audited. Yes, you are pregnant. I'm sorry. A couple of months ago, I picked up the phone and it's my brother. He said, Ryan, thoughts is this. Four words changed my life forever. What were the four words that Jesus spoke to her that changed her life forever? He spoke these words. Verse 48, I need God to You go through that and you notice the word by there simply indicating the person that was being addressed. Jesus in this crowd and, and all the commotion and, and, and everything that was taking place. And, and I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like there within the home and being invited into the Pharisee's house and all the events taking place. But he looks at her and he says, Bye, kid. I'm talking to you. This is something between me and you. It's very personal. Speaking directly to her it was not some cold and impersonal and flippant comment. He was talking about this one to this woman about her sin. You know, he speaks to us the same way. He, he wants us to have that relationship as we study his word. And we know that through the obedience of the gospel, our sins can be forgiven. And we need to have that connection. It has to be personal. I love reading the writings of David. You read the Psalms. How many times do you read about the personal pronoun? The Lord is my shepherd and things such as that. The Apostle Paul was able to say, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life of time I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me. There are times that friends me have all missed the mark. We've offended someone, we've wronged someone, we've made a mistake, we've had some sinful desires not believed, had no faith, and not trusting God. We've deviated from God's plan in our life. We have failed to perform the duties that God has entrusted upon us. We have fallen short. We've broken commands. The Bible says that we've all seen. Or, simple word, declaring and affirming the truth right now. Fill in that blank in your life. My sins are Thy sins are hidden. Thy sins are fun. Thy sins are weighing you down. Thy sins are destroying others. Thy sins are destroying your family. Thy sins are forgiven. What a beautiful word. Things that you've been set free. Things that you have been pardoned. That you have been cleaned. That you have been washed. You have been set free from the slavery of sin and now can be a servant of the Most High God. What does that mean? What are those implications for us today? It gives us assurance. When we read this account and we start picturing in our mind this woman who, who puts on her nightly attire and she steps out into the street, but something's different. She sees the crowd. She goes there and Jesus speaks four words that changes her life forever, but at the same time giving me assurance that no matter what I've done, that God will forgive me. A relationship with God is possible. Jesus' death on the cross makes forgiveness possible. He paid the price, the perfect sacrifice, the lamb that was slain for our sins. He had to stay in the tomb and have no hope. 
we would have no Savior, no eternal life. Four powerful words that changed her life forever. Change years now. Because let's start making an application of our text now. Because we're talking about renewing our passion. And I think we got to do some self-examination. So as we read this account, you need to ask yourself the question, as I ask myself, which one of these characters in this story here, these individuals that make up this account, which one best represents me? Now, before you answer that, I want us to make sure that we go and we look at them. Are you the woman in the story, or are you the Pharisee, the Simon in the story? So let's find out a little bit more about them. Are you the woman? She was called a sinner, immoral and unshaped. In those days, the women were neither invited nor accepted to the banquets. No doubt you can imagine the stares that she had endured by the same Pharisees who knew how she was in. She would walk down the streets and they would look at her down their nose. A woman of this type would surely not be invited to the house of Simon the Pharisee. But because she had a desperate need in her life, she knew she was a sinner. She was convicted of her sin. She approached Jesus in spite of the stairs, in spite of the circumstance, in spite of everything that was going on, because she knew that she needed Jesus. And there she was. She gave the most highly possession that she had. She gave this perfume. Luke says, as we read a moment ago, this alabaster box of perfume. This ointment, most likely referring to the flask that they would wear around their neck. And this flask would be filled with perfume. And because of her profession, she would use this perfume one drop at a time, many times to, to draw men to her or cover the sin of the men that she had been with. But she would use it very sparingly, just one drop at a time. She pours it out, the whole thing out. Why? She wasn't going to need it. Her life was changed. You got one? Father, we read about a group of religious people. Leaders of the religious people are known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew a lot about God. Simon had devoted his life, his entire life as a Pharisee, to learning about God. By the time a, a student there was at age of 12, he had memorized between 10 and 12 of the first books of the Bible. By the age of 15, it was said that they would have memorized the entire Old Testament. He had devoted his life to the memorization of God's Word. He knew the 300-plus prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. He knew all there was about God. But did he know God? How much does that sound like that? Father asked for so hands to know. And I was asked, how many of you can tell me the books of the Bible in order, all 66? All the hands would go up. How many of you know the names of the judges, the apostles, the prophets? How many know the names of the kings or the Ten Commandments or the Ten Plagues? How many can tell me uh, uh, ten verses or fifty verses or a hundred verses by memory? Can you begin to quote things? And boy, hands are going up all over the room. And ever since we've been children in Bible classes and things such as this, we've been brought up and we can sing those songs and we know those stories and we know those things. And so our minds are filled with things about God. But do we know? I'm afraid sometimes that we have confused knowledge with intimacy. 
know a lot about God. A lot of times we get this mentality spiritually. Most everyone in here, they're my children. Not, not long ago, Noah was serving on the Lord's Supper. He's dressed now. But as teenage boys often do, he was chewing them. No one chews around like a, a meal eating briars, I guess. If you can tell, you know. I saw it. Michelle's like, chewing them. I'm like, oh well, let me take the bread and then go pick it up. And walked up to the next service, rebuked him, and literally said, Son, you would go to hell for chewing gum. That is the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. a teenage Bible class teacher tell a group of teenagers they were going to go to hell for wearing flip flops and so Go to hell for wearing shorts. Hell for mixed women. Hell for this, hell for that. And all of a sudden, everything that we do, everybody's drawing a line in the sand and saying, you're going to go to hell for those things. Not long ago during the election, somebody was saying, well, if you're voting in the election and the Christian can't vote, and you'll go to hell. And another person, well, I think you'll go to hell if you don't vote. And I mean, it's just going back and forth. And all of a sudden, we get this mentality that, that we know so much that we're the ones that's drawing the line. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Listen to what Jesus said about the Pharisees. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Caution spoke there a couple of weeks ago when the men were telling a story where they had taken their youth group after Katrina had gone through and they were working there and shoveling muck out of the building and helping people to restore whatever they could in their lives. And these young young teenagers were just working so hard and they had nowhere to sleep. They were sleeping in a, in a gym floor with basically nothing more than sleeping by getting very little showers at any. And, you know, they, they were working so hard and canvassing the areas and trying to get people to, to you know, come to services. And they set up some first aid things. And they were just giving everything they had to, to help that community get back on their feet. And they left that morning, that Saturday morning, to get back to uh, the home. And they, the, the, the minister was saying, you know, listen, we're not going to stop till we get there. And so he took off and it was about a three-hour drive. And, of course, they didn't get a shower that morning. The boys all put on a ball cap and jogging pants and T-shirt, and they took off. And of course, after three hours of driving, by the time they got to the building, as soon as he opened the van doors, you know, the boys were taken off to the building. They didn't use the restroom. They hadn't stopped all morning. They, they were running. They were running in the building. They were running down the hall. And a man began to scream at them and stop. He interviewed them for wearing a hat in the building. Young people had just worked all week serving God. And it was all destroyed because of someone had been there. I'm afraid that this describes a lot of professed Christians today. They've given their minds to the study of God's Word, but they've never surrendered to the Lord. There's a difference between knowledge and intimacy, and you can't confuse the two. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him. And so who am I most likely in the story? When is the last time you really had a moment like this woman did with Jesus? When is the last time you poured yourself out before Jesus? When is the last time the tears streamed out of your face and you expressed your love toward him? When is the last time that you demonstrated your love for him with abandonment? Recklessness. I'm not asking you tonight. 
Number one, I examine my own self. I'm afraid that I am a lot more like Simon than I am that woman. Number four, what if this never happened? What if this collision would have never happened? Let me tell you a quick story to kind of prompt me to writing this lesson. A man came to an office not long ago, and we were sitting there, and we had a conversation. He asked me about bus ministry. I'd never been a part of really a bus ministry, but he was just asking my insights and what I thought about a bus ministry. And they were thinking about buying a van and going to pick up children and, and bringing them back, kind of a new city type thing. And, and I began to tell him about what I believe was the pros and the cons of this program. And, of course, to be honest, the cons really outweigh the pros. I began talking about, you know, you can the cost of buying a van, and then you got the cost of insurance and the cost of gas. And, and then one of the most difficult things I would think is trying to find somebody dedicated enough and committed enough to be the driver. And, you know, and I said, once you get all that done, and then getting them there, and once they get there, you're talking about bringing a bunch of children that are, that are, quote, unchurched, that, you know, they're not growing up in an environment where they're used to coming. And I've seen it where they go in and, and rip the pews, you know, or pick a knife and, 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 and tore the pews or, or, or tore things up or clogged the bathroom up with toilet paper or, or and they just make a mess, and, you know, and they're, and they're, they're, they're rambunctious and they're distracting. And, and you know, I went through all these things. Water filled with water. This is the rabbit. What if their life never collides with That's
How many of us are praying that God would allow us to use our talents and our abilities to glorify Him? How many of us became or are becoming the Simon in our story? We know a lot about Jesus. We know a lot about God. We know a lot about the Bible. A lot of, a lot of knowledge. A very little knowledge. So let's consider these questions that we've asked tonight. Number one, who was? She was a sinner. She was one who was in need of God. She was overcome with shame and guilt. She was overwhelmed by the sinfulness of her life and dwarfed by God's goodness. She tried to speak and to cry uncontrollably. She stood there. She noticed her tears began to fall on the dusty, callous feet of Jesus. Embarrassed, I'm sure, she, she knelt down and began to lock his feet with her hair, leaving those streaks. The more she cried, the, the more she would watch to eventually evidently never close. And then she pours out this Highly prized possession. She takes this alabaster box of poor perfume and she pours it. She empties it. The whole thing. She's been using it one little spot at a time. But now she pours everything out upon his feet. And she begins to kiss them over and over. Her heart had been broken because of her sinful life. And now her life has collided with Jesus. Everybody else in the room smells the perfume. Jesus saw a broken contrast here. All of the four words that he said that changed her life, I've seen drop to Those words ever been said. Your sins are forgiven. You know, there's a lot of people that don't feel worthy enough to hear those words. That's how you feel. You're wrong. Using this story tonight to demonstrate that this individual's life, this sinner, this prostitute woman, worthy of being forgiven because of the grace of God. Maybe you've heard those words, but you've forgotten how precious they are. Never neglect that. Great question, though, as we renew our passion, is really contemplate which individual represents me. Woman or Simon? I'm afraid that many of us have become like the Pharisees. We know a lot about Jesus. A lot. How many know if you really know who he is? What would have happened if she would have never collided with Jesus? She would continue to live a life of immorality? She lost. No doubt we know that that story would have ended it. So tonight I ask you this question. Two questions. Have you ever heard the words? Not things are forgiven. It's not sins and not. It doesn't matter what you have. We're here to assist you and to help you to answer any questions that you have. Just follow the plan that God has given you. You come tonight and confess that Jesus Christ has done a lot. He understands. To remove that, that's what she was doing. You can see that, that heart of repenting and, 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 and breaking loose of the life that she had. Repent of your sins. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Have your sins. Washed away. Maybe you've done those things that you have forgotten. Those words are. And maybe you might see to come back into your life. Repent of sin. Ask the question, am I the woman or am I Simon? And if you catch yourself and you say, I, I'm the Simon. I know a lot about the Bible. I know a lot about God. I know a lot about Jesus, but I don't really have a relationship with him. Maybe you call your sin in your life. Get it back before it's too late. We can help you tonight with anything that you need. We would love to be together. We stand and ask you.
here, and they may be a blessing unto your work. And in Jesus' name we pray.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.